Good morning, everybody. That's removing last week's sermon notes, which is still here. If anyone enjoyed it a lot, I can do that one again, if you like. Well, the last couple of weeks we've been, or four or five weeks, we've been talking about the character of God, which is, if anything, the central, our central concern, is it not? Who is God? What is God like? What does God require of us? What does it mean to worship? It's God that we've come to know through the revelation in Scripture and ultimately through Jesus Christ. Part of what we were talking about was the relationship also between God and what God calls us to be. Our character is supposed to marry and reflect God's character. Be holy even as I am holy is a refrain that we hear a few times through the Old Testament and it's repeated in the New Testament. And then, of course, the scariest one, which we won't talk about today, be perfect, even as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Um, Which doesn't mean exactly something quite as scary as one might think. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. But anyway, let's not get distracted into that. So over the next five weeks, what I'd like to do is now thinking about not just who God is, but then what does it actually mean to be a people uh, in whom God dwells, who live in the presence of God, who are called to actually follow Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how to reflect God's character. And so what we're going to be doing is looking at, over the next five weeks, um, some aspects of what it means for Christians to meet together in the light of the New Testament, uh, in the light of church history, and also in the light of our changing context as well. Now, in one respect, you might think, well, talking about the church has this temptation to kind of be very self-referential. And... um, and there's a, a danger when we start talking about the church is that what happens is that we often just start bringing in our own preferences and ideas and, and what we like or don't like, etc. and we'll talk a little bit about that. But the most important thing is for us to actually, when we approach the question of what it means to be the people of God, to actually be biblically informed, of course, and to be theologically informed, to be able to think well about what we read in Scripture, why uh, what we read in Scripture is there, what it has to say to us as a Christian community today. So with great boldness. Oh, could you start the slideshow? Thanks, um, Val. It's on... um, Just uh, click on from current slide at the top there. The sermon today has been brought to you by Microsoft. Uh, (laughs) Fantastic. There we go. Great. And I'll just see if... Yep, that's good. Thanks, guys. So one thing that's very easy to do is to just start talking in terms of justifications of our own traditions. And there's a few different backgrounds here. I think we've got Baptists, Lutherans, Church of Christ. There's probably a few uh, Anglicans um, as well. So we have a lot of different backgrounds. When we approach Scripture, it's very easy for us to read our traditions back. Now, I'm a kind of Baptist, but what I'm hoping we're going to do over the uh, next uh, few weeks is also critique some of the things that we do 
and discern what's the essential and what's the non-essential, because that will free us up, I think, to be able to think about, well, what does it mean to meet together as a Christian community? What does it actually look like in the New Testament? Do we have to copy what happens in the New Testament? Do we find examples that we can emulate in the New Testament? And this is a kind of conversation that's happened throughout church history. Any kind of renewal movement or new group with a new name has always gone back to the New Testament to ask, okay, let's reflect and think about what we've actually been doing as a Christian community and what might we recover, what might we set aside. So I want to talk about this notion of the ecclesia, which is what the Greek word is for what we translate as church, which is such an unhelpful word in the end. I mean, what, what are we actually saying, you know? Looking forward to seeing the church at church for church um, this morning. I mean, three different things, a, a building or a location, a community of people, essential meaning, uh, or a service of some kind. So I've just put ecclesia up there just to sort of let us step back a little bit and think about what is this thing, the ecclesia in the New Testament? And I'll finish off thinking about those three different things. What is our identity? Who are we? Um, what is our vocation? What are we called to be? What should we be doing uh, together and in the world? And finally, what is our destiny? Where is this all going? Okay, so what we're doing this morning, and I'm going to try to really be good this morning, Bruce, and um, get through it quickly. Um, the most fundamental thing that we need to do when we're talking about anything like this is actually think about what are our convictions. And convictions are things that are fundamental to who we are. Okay, If you change your convictions, those strong and fundamental beliefs that shape who you are, if you change them, in a sense you become a kind of different person. Okay, as an example, um, if I said to Peter, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Oh, heck yeah. Um, and um, if Peter was to change that belief, Peter would become a kind of different person. He wouldn't be the, pe <laughs> he wouldn't be the person that we, that we know and love because it's such a fundamental thing to his and I assume all of our identity that this is something which shapes and affects everything else. You know, without the resurrection, as Paul said, we're the, we're the most miserable of all. It's fundamental to who we are. So convictions. And the same is the case when it comes to the church. There are things which are convictions that we have, which we'll talk about. But then on the other hand, we also have what I'll just say are conventions. There are things that we are used to doing. There are habits that we have. There are sort of social expectations and so forth that we have as well, um, which aren't always a bad thing in themselves. Well, they are simply what it says. They're conventions. They're things that we're used to doing, but they're not at the same level as convictions. So we need to be able to differentiate between those different things. We need to understand what's the fundamental teaching of Scripture, what's the theological reflections that actually, you know, draws that meaning out, and then what are things that we just do? And there might be things that we even get upset about. Oh, you know, we've always done this kind of music, or we've, we've always, you know, done chairs like this, or et cetera. Well, look. Deep breath. These are conventions. They do become meaningful for us, but they're not at the level of, of convictions. Okay? When we talk about convictions, we're thinking about what, what's their purpose? What are, we, what are we here for? What are we doing? Why? And this difference is just preferences. I like it like this. And purpose has to overcome preference. But 
we need to be dealing seriously with preference, uh, with purpose. We can't just be like one preference against the other. That's pointless. We want to understand what's our fundamental purpose as Christians and as a gathered community. We want to think, of course, about substance. We want to think about what are the things that matter, not just things which are style. Okay? So let's begin a quick journey uh, thinking about um, some of those convictions. And, of course, where are we going to go? We're going to go to the Bible. Um, So let's do it. Okay. Now, we're not going to do a whole, you know, through the Bible about about the church, of course, but um, we're just going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. So all my favourite Bible people with their Bibles out, yes! Um, (laughs) um, Get ready for Deuteronomy chapter 7. And before we get that, I'm just going to rattle through a few different things. Often when we think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, sometimes we have this kind of contrast in our head. So we think about, oh, the Old Testament, that's kind of about material things. New Testament's about spiritual things. The Old Testament, it's about uh, communities and people, but the New Testament's all about individuals. There are differences between the New and the Old Testament in terms of what Christ has accomplished for us and in terms of the biblical story, which we're going to look at in about uh, six weeks' time. But there is continuity. It's a single story. It's a single narrative. And so when we think about the New Testament, fundamentally, as opposed to modern individualistic people, it is still community at the centre of of Christian faith. If community and peoplehood was at the centre of the Old Testament, it still is in the New Testament. How it's constituted, who it's made up of, who's brought in, that's changed. But it's still about community. It's about community and you as an individual, your place, important place within that, your dignity within that community, your role and contribution to that community, but it's still as part of a community. Paul puts it maybe in this way, you are the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12 and members in particular. See, it's not like the church is a gathering of like-minded individuals who all have their own independent relationship with Jesus, who happen to have decided to come together insofar as it might be helpful for your individual spirituality or faith. You are part of a people. God has always been searching and forming a people. You are part of a community. It's not a question about whether or not you'll be part of a church or not. That's who you are. And to be doing something different is abnormal. It's a... Um, it's an oddity, it's not something the New Testament ever envisaged that somehow or another we'd have a bunch of people who, I just do my own Christian thing out there. That being the case, that still puts a, a bit of pressure on people like me um, working in the and for the church to really look at are we doing the sort of things that we're supposed to do when we do gather together. Okay, the background of this, of course... God made a covenant with Abraham to create this little community, this family, which would spread and spread and multiply and ultimately would become a blessing for all the nations of the earth. So it started with, um, with two people and it multiplied and multiplied from there. Um, the descendants of Abraham go to Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt in a massive and amazing act of deliverance. And this is kind of where we get to uh, in looking at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Okay, so let me... Bring it up there. Having been rescued, this is their new identity. 
For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Okay, now you have been grafted into that one people. You are part of God's treasured possession. That's a wonderful thing if you're concerned about talking about community versus the individual, which it's not. He's concerned about, does God love you? Yes, you're his treasured possession and you're his treasured possession as part of this people. Being part of a people doesn't dissolve your importance to God into, into nothing. All right, what's, what's he going on to say? Uh, not because you're successful, and this is very relevant to us this morning. The Lord did not set his affection upon you and choose you because you were more numerous than other churches, sorry, peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was the Lord, because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord God is your God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So a little bit of a callback there to our character of God uh, stuff there. What does it mean to be part of the people of God in the Old Testament? As we looked at last week, God is holy and so as part of that there is the idea that um, the people serve, sacrifice, worship God and within that they have mediators, a, a holy priesthood. Bear that one in mind, of course. You've uh, just read from 1 Peter 2. There's also, um, this is where the word ecclesia comes up, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint um, uses the word ecclesia to talk about the congregation of Israel, people of Israel gathered together. And so when the early Christians, of course, were talking about what, and with Jesus and talking about what their community would be called, it's not surprising that the idea of ecclesia would be there. The congregation of Israel, a renewed Israel, formed around Jesus and his 12 apostles representing a kind of renewed um, tribes of Israel that they together would be this ecclesia, a new community born out of the old one, not replacing the old one, but born out of the old one and, of course, with an openness um, to others. Well, what does this look like? First Peter 2, as we just uh, were reading... Think about all the images that are drawn from the Old Testament here and applied to us as a Christian community. You come to him, the, uh, the living stone, that is Jesus, the one who is rejected by humans, chosen by God and precious to him, precious possession. Um, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, what's more important, the temple or the stones? Well, why choose? But on the other hand, a bunch of stones scattered about everywhere is not really what God is aiming for. It's not like a bunch of holy gravel or something like that. He's building something. He's putting something together. He's building a community. He's building a people of himself. And this is the New Testament and taking all of those ideas here. You are part of something. 
Notice what else we've got up there as well. Rather than being a special priesthood set apart, mediators between us and God, we ourselves together are a priesthood. We ourselves come together and we offer sacrifice of praise and a life worthy of the calling that we've been given, a spiritual sacrifice. He goes on, you are a chosen people. So again, the Old Testament imagery right there. Royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, Gentiles here, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So again, just to labour the point, maybe, but fundamentally we are a community. It is not a choice about whether or not we participate in this thing called church. Now, I'm not saying someone has to come to a particular church and I'm not saying that I'm um, not monitoring, who, you know, who, who's here every week. Well, maybe I am. But the point is we are a community together. A few um, months ago, when I first started here, I put a little article in the um, newsletter, which you will read, um, contrasting the idea of the Christian community as, on the one hand, a caravan, not like a you know, two-wheel caravan, but a caravan in terms of like, you know, one of those massive groups of people marching along, stop, camp, etc., but they, you know, they're all moving together, a mobile people, community on the move, versus the idea of the church as a commissary where we kind of lined up here like a buffet of, of uh, spiritual food and services and so forth, and you go and you pick and so forth, and, and if you don't like it, well, I'll go to a better one. The church existing for the individual to kind of, you know, pick and choose the things that they like, and then if they don't like it, eh, um, don't need to show up, whatever. So it's always encouraging to one another, by the way, whenever, when people come. But it's a fundamental difference, isn't it? Approaching the idea of the church as something which is here for me as an individual to kind of build me up on my own private life or to join a new community, a new movement, something that God is doing in the world, something which has a specific identity and has a vocation, a calling. So we're going to look at this a bit more in depth next week. So the idea of the Ecclesia in the New Testament, mostly from Paul, it's basically this gathered community. Um, it's not a religious word, by the way, ecclesia. It's actually almost more a kind of political word. So if you like the ecclesia, the people of God are almost like the civic assembly of this new nation, this new people that God is putting together. Most of the time it refers to a gathered community, usually in a home, often about this, this number of people in the New Testament. And then occasionally it sort of develops into something else which begins to reflect that bigger idea of a worldwide um, people of God. One thing that Israel discovered was that um, they didn't sort of keep it together as a nation and so they were scattered to different parts of the world. And uh, what we call the exile. And just note here as well that... Um, writer of the letter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires and rage against your soul. And what's your purpose as you're living in exile around the world, not centred together? 
Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. The day of God's visitation, of course, is a revelation of God, judgment and salvation coming uh, at the end, not God popping in. Um, so, let's think about what other convictions Christians have had about this idea of this one people together. Okay, um, was it the Apostles' Creed that we did before? Yeah, so note, note there that actually the importance of the Christian community is one of the earliest creeds that we have. The idea that actually we believe in the Holy Spirit and then under that, the Holy Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the Holy Ones, people of God. And then, just to develop it a little bit further, there's this next notion that the church, the people of God, is one. One holy, apostolic, Catholic community, church, people. Okay. Think about Acts chapter 2, which um, we've read a little bit of, and we're going to come back to that. It's going to be a memory scripture, if you like, for the next five weeks, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. At the beginning of Acts, and throughout Acts, actually, this phrase keeps popping up. They're thinking about one community anyway, but the secondary thing is they're all of one accord. They're all of one mind. They're all, I don't mean they agree on everything, but fundamentally they're all of one accord. They all have one sense of being united together. They also see that, um, as we again will talk about later, begin to do things like break bread together, meet in each other's homes and share things in common. So the oneness of this community on the local level starts actually to mean a fundamental kind of sharing of material things. So as I said before, it's not like spiritual versus material, New Testament versus Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's like upping the ante, you might say, and the idea of sharing everything uh, in common is there right at the beginning, the birth of the church. So unity, even though it's not a very, can I say, sexy, you know, I often think, oh, that's, you know, oh, that's exciting, oh, oh what a, you know, a mission, oh, that's exciting, or something like that. Unity is kind of like, oh, unity, um, boring, but it's so fundamental to who we are. We can't engage in mission well if we're not united, if we're not of a common mind, if our minds are not renewed and centred on Jesus Christ together. Okay, now that oneness is not just a um, arbitrary oneness, it's not based on one set of, you know, one group's ideas and everyone has to agree. The oneness is based on their fundamental convictions and faith in Jesus Christ and it also is related to God's holiness. There is only one God, okay. We are his people, we are to serve the one God as his holy people. That's, of course, not changed in the New Testament. Um, from the Old Testament, God desires to dwell among us. And as we said last week, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Not just a name picked out of thin air. Important. God has set aside a people. And that people is also to uh, worship and express um, love for God and to sacrifice their life, give their life as a living sacrifice, as Romans says. 
1 Corinthians again, Paul says, you are God's temple. Same idea as in Peter. You're God's temple and God's temple dwells in your midst and therefore, you know, think seriously about what you're doing with your bodies. This is part of God's temple. Okay, apostolic. All of the early church um, wanted to be, quite rightly, in, you might say, the succession to the apostles, to take on board the apostles' teaching. The idea that false teaching might creep into the church, very serious concern in the, in the early New Testament and ongoing. Teaching, learning, gathering together, hearing the scriptures, having them interpreted well, really important for what it means to actually gather together as, as God's people, as an apostolic community, to follow fundamentally in the faithfulness to the teaching handed on from generation to generation. Meaning also that we need to reform, correct, think back, look back to what we believe. Is it the same as what the apostles believe? It's conversations we always need to be having as a community and as a, um, each of us as well, what we believe. You might add to that, not kind of as much of a an emphasis, but I think still in the spirit of what's said there, that the apostolic community is also therefore a missional community. It's one that bears the message, not just among ourselves, but basically takes the message of Christ the King into the wider world. And then lastly, I've actually switched that around, but I've made it last. Um, Catholic. So as I said, well, not Roman Catholic. Church is not fundamentally Roman. But it is Catholic in terms of two things. It is complete in terms of Christ has given everything that it needs to actually fulfil its, its mission in the world. The presence of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in the church is what the church needs to, to fulfil its vocation. Um, it is also one that extends hospitality around the world, across the world, across boundaries. Okay, Think about all those inclusive and that's a bit of a weak word, really, but all those, pas those passages in the New Testament that look at how boundaries that may have divided people are actually overcome in Christ. So you think about Galatians 3.28, that in Christ, it's neither male nor female, slave nor free, uh, Jew or Gentile, all are one together in Christ. So that Catholicity and that oneness are both related uh, together. Now, this is the character of this, of this people, of this community. This is what you are a part of. It is fundamentally who you are. It should be part of your convictions. It shouldn't be just a convention. It shouldn't be an option. It shouldn't be something that maybe you do. Okay? I'm not talking about coming to church services, but why wouldn't you come to a church service? Because that's when the community meets together and should also meet together in other ways and that as well. We will come to that over the next few weeks. Okay. So we talked about these four things. But I also want us to think about stuff I'm just setting up for the next four weeks. Think about we have conventions and so forth. We have biblical convictions. But we also live in a particular context. Okay. So we should also be thinking then, Okay, what is the practice that we have that fulfills the purposes God has given us? It's not just mere preference, but what is the practice in our particular context that isn't just about style, but actually relates to our setting, 
fundamental things. What are our purpose? What's our purpose that God has given us? What's the substance of Christian teaching and biblical theology? And then thinking how that relates and can be expressed in our particular setting. Okay? It's all too easy to be stuck in conventions, in which case we say, you know, love the 16th century Protestant worship. Well, uh, good on you. Um, or you can say you can be driven by, oh, I'm concerned about the setting, and everyone likes this kind of music, so you know, oh, it's all gonna be tars and the smoke machine's going and, and whatever else, you know, whatever. But the point is, substance drives it, sensitivity to the setting, how do we express purpose and substance where we are? But it may mean that we're changing our conventions as well. Okay, this now brings us, I guess, to close. Identity. Who are we? This one holy, apostolic, Catholic community that we are. What's this identity? Fundamentally, oh, sorry, I'll get to that. What's our identity? And then where are we going? Okay, that's the two fundamental questions. And in the light of that, we'll have a third question. So identity is the people of God. We're not just people, you are a people. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. But that's who you are. It's not something, I'm out there being the body of Christ. No, it's a body, is a gathered community which is sent out into the world to express Christ's love. But it's not a secondary thing, this idea of joining together as a body. You are fundamentally a body and then members of it. And you are the temple of the spirit. Now, Paul does also talk about derived from the idea that we are the temple of the Spirit together, this community. Not this church service, but the community itself. And derived from that, yes, the Spirit indwells each of us. And we can talk about our own bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But that's, that's like one text. The rest of that is, that is all based on the rest of it, which is the idea that the Christian community together is the temple of the Spirit. So that's who we are. That's our fundamental conviction. Anything we talk about in terms of gathering together has to have this in mind. <coughs> what does it mean? What's our destiny? Where are we going? Living together as Christ's people in the presence of God forever in a new creation. Revelation 21 to 22, the amazing vision of the New Jerusalem descending from heaven and God in the midst of his people and there we are, it is a loving community forever in this new creation. That's where we're headed. To serve and worship, spiritual sacrifices, one might say, the triune God, the Father, Son and Spirit. That is our ultimate destiny. To live together, worship, serve God, Father, Son and Spirit. Identity and destiny means... How do we live in the light of that now? Who we are, where are we going, how do we live in anticipation of that? Because that's the idea of what we call vocation. What's our calling in the present time? And again, that's, this is the fundamental question we need to have in our mind about anything we talk about in terms of church. 
to live together in Christ. Some fancy Latin here. Participatio Christi, meaning to participate, live in Christ, to actually live the life of Christ. You might think of Paul, how he said, um, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Living in Christ, following the way of Jesus together, as imitation of Christi, the example of Christ. So we want to keep together this idea of like living in God's grace and the life that God gives us in this grace, but actually that pushes us out to live imitating Christ, following the way of Christ. The two belong together. You're not just following Christ in your own sort of effort and strength. The Spirit of God is with you. The community of Christ is with you to do so. To declare the gospel of the risen king, fundamentally, this community is a community which recognises in a way that the rest of the world does not as yet, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And to use the words of my favourite people, N.T. Wright, um, recognising that Jesus is Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. Our fundamental identity is caught up in service and allegiance to Christ. And then lastly, drawn from a number of Pauline scriptures, his earliest, uh, earliest letter, 1 Thessalonians and others, uh, Ephesians is one of the later, to serve the living God together in good work or good works that glorify God. All those things you can probably remember from the first Peter 2 quote as well. So this is our identity. This is where we're headed. And we live in the light of what is to come. The church is called to me now. The people have got to call to me now what the world, the eschaton, the new creation will be ultimately. We, we attempt to live and glorify God in the way of what is to come in the present, even in the midst of the conditions of this suffering age. So, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a few things. We're going to be looking at four different things. The first is, what did it look like in the New Testament when the Christians met together? Why did they meet the way they did? Is there anything we can learn from it? Is there anything what you might call normative or an example for us? Are there things that we should do? Are there things that we would be good to do? Is there anything that, no, we don't need to do, doesn't matter, whatever? We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians and the Book of Acts will show us some of that. The following week, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Table, which is actually the centre of the New Testament church. Pulpit's not the centre of a New Testament church. No pulpits. Um, music, it's a bit of singing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That was not the centre. The centre is a table, not an altar either, a table on which brothers and sisters in Christ meet around. So we'll see that in uh, Paul's letters and in the book of Acts and the implication of that. We're we'll looking at that for about two weeks. Um, and then that may well transform some aspects of how we celebrate the Lord's table together. But I'll explain it. It's not about preferences, not about styles, things like that. We'll look at theology, we'll look at what scripture is teaching us and how we can develop uh, that. The last week, in light of all of that, we'll think a little bit more about what it means to be this Christian community here in a place like Margaret River or more broadly in the, the West 
and elsewhere and think about what does it, what's, are the practices alive and sensitive to our context, faithful to what God has revealed to us in scripture, faithful to the calling that we have, the vocation that we have, to actually live well together, not just slavishly copy the New Testament, but actually embody what is shown to us there in our current setting now in a way which both expresses true Christian community and our mission to the world. So that's what's, um, that's what's coming up next. I'd like to pray for us as a Christian community together. So let's do that now. Actually, you've got a prayer coming up as well, haven't you? I'll just very quickly pray then. Part one of prayer. <laughs> Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are privileged and we are grateful and we just give you thanks for the amazing work you've done through history. We are grateful and privileged and thankful to be called together to recognise our one Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. Help us to live together as this community in fellowship with one another, encouraging one another, expressing our gifts to one another in a way that fulfils that vocation to recognise you together, to worship and serve you and to extend that love and reach and proclamation and good work into the world to which you call us. Father, help us to be mindful of your priorities, of your purposes first before we consider any other things. Help us to critically engage together as we read your word, as we see the testimony of the early church, of the apostles. Help us to hear and defer our own preferences and styles and so forth to, to really pushing in and seeing, yeah, what is it that you've called us to be? What is it that you are creating? What is this people? What is this community that you are making here centred on our Lord Jesus Christ? And Father, thus we thank you for the presence of your spirit, that this is not something that we investigate on our own, but instead you are present with us. You have sent your spirit into the world, the first fruits of a new creation, the first fruits of the salvation which is to fully come. We think that you have sent your spirit to help teach, that you have given gifts to your church as well, to teaching, encouragement, exhortation, prophecy, all sorts of different things, service. We think that through your spirit we can realise, not in a perfectionist way, but in a way that seeks to faithfully follow what you have called us to in the obedience of faith. Thank you for such a great salvation Thank you for a great salvation to come and thank you for the calling that you have given us between those two events. Thank you in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen.